One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So in the music business, I really like to manage like or be in a um, r like develop artists and stuff so I met somebody that works at uh, Sony Records and he basically offered me an internship for free so during the day I was working there I was learning meeting people just understanding the business and he teached me a lot you know it was just no pay so obviously I had to make money somehow or have an income and uh, that's when I started like I met one artist like basically I knew his father and he had a very talented son who was a rapper and I started to manage him and a very good friend of mine that wanted to become a singer and she definitely put in the work so I started networking in the music industry as well so I made sure I go to the events I give out my card and I'm trying to learn you know like what does it take Because it's pretty hard to like bring an artist or you know develop an artist or just manage them but I love doing it so I saw myself doing that in the, in the future. Um, so while I was managing them, uh, I just saw it doesn't, like it, I put a lot of money and time into it, but it, it's just not, not really coming back. So I took a part of my money and invested in other businesses, just as well to like, you know, basically uh, have another business running. Cause it's not something I knew I can't do this my whole life, obviously, and I have to be careful. But at the same time, I thought like I never get caught. You know, so, and that's a mistake if you think that way. But I was definitely on point when it comes to phones, computers, advertisement, security. Because in the end, you don't really have to advertise no more. People will really like hit you up and, and just got, you know, from, from recommendations. So that worked out pretty well uh, until I kind of stepped into uh, drugs. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Nives Gadoni. And as you heard there in the snippet, She's had a pretty interesting life, and one of the reasons I wanted to have her on the show is because I think the human experience is vastly different for everyone. Everyone has their own unique journey to get into where they get to, and with Nivas, she has a very, very, very wide-ranging story, and... I just want to give a warning for, you know, people listening, you know, to this episode in case you're listening with your kids or people younger than the age of 13 or 16. There are very, very adult themes that we are covering here. But nevertheless, the story has a lot of the ups and downs of a heroic journey. And I loved her, you know, candor, her her ability to talk about what she went through and the mindset she was you know, in when she felt like she was untouchable. And the episode really dives into her journey to America, what she learned from getting into an underworld and how she came out of it. I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you check out her book. I hope you also check out her interest in making this into a movie. Also, if you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out to me or feel free to reach out to Nivas. I'll put our information in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is, how do I say this? She has lived multiple lifetimes. Her name is Nivas Godoni. And she, as she will dive into the story, has had lots of highs and a lot of lows. And through the highs and lows, she's discovered who she wanted to be and how she wanted to help the world. Her journey starts in Switzerland 
comes over here to New York where I am and then right back to Switzerland. And I'll let her tell you the the incredible, uh, you know, uh, highs and lows that she went through with the story. But she's an author. She's a motivational speaker, even though she doesn't believe she is. And she runs several businesses and um, she's only getting started. Welcome to the show, Nivas. Hi, Teo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> The pleasure is mine. I didn't want to give away too much into, you know, in my intro because, I, you know, I, I feel like I want the audience to actually have the same experience I had when I came across your story. But the best way that I found the audience connecting with the, you know, speakers or the guest is through their early childhood memories. And with right. you, curious if you could, you know, walk us through what it was like for you growing up and then what led you down the path you came here when you came to the United States? Right. So I grew up in Switzerland. Um, Switzerland is uh, not really big in the entertainment industry, more like banking. And pretty much everyone takes the same path here. Basically, you go to school, then you can either go study or you do like something it's called like a college where you work and go to school at the same time. Um, and, and I chose that path. But already at a young age, I always wanted to just make money and travel, and I always wanted to go to the United States. That was kind of like my teenage dream. Um, then, I mean, growing up, my, my father is a photographer, um, and he just, he's a painter and stuff, and my mom is a fitness instructor. So they always wanted me to go and just, you know, uh, do a regular job, like work in a bank or whatever. And I always had the difficulty to, like, really choose what I really like to do. You know, it's not like that I don't want to work. I'm a definitely a workaholic, but I just didn't want to go the regular route. Um, by the age of 16, you have to decide basically which job you want to do. And in that time, I think Fast and Furious came out <laughs> and I decided to become a car painter, like do body work on cars. And mm. I, I took I chose that path and did a three year like college. So basically you work four days a week and one day a week you go to school and after three years you do your master you know and, and that's basically how it is and my parents were always big on it to like um uh, just get a, a solid education um three days after my degree i just jumped on a plane and uh, left to new york with my bestie at that time and i just started basically a new life not knowing what i'm gonna do i didn't speak english just like you know a few words and stuff um but i just was so motivated to make it in whatever i mean I didn't know what education or whatever. My dream would have been uh, to be an actress. Um, but shortly when I came to the States, I didn't like it no more. Hmm. So, well, was- uh, let, me, let me stop you there if I can. So mm-hmm. you said a few things. So you were talking about, you said the United States has always been the dream, even when you were young. I wonder if you could explain why. And then I'm just curious as to what made you just hop on a plane after getting your certification uh, you know, to, to paint and just leave with your best friend, you know, that's right. something most people won't do. Yeah. So in the United States, um, I liked hip hop music. So I saw the videos and, and it's kind of right. like freedom to make it and not like just have a regular job maybe. And again, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to be rich and, and have a good life. And the United States kind of like when you live over here, that's like sort of the dream to just live over there freely, how, how they say, you know, like basically uh, people can start businesses without having a degree, people can get ahead. And that's just kind of like how we see it over here, you know, when we hear from uh. the United States. Um, reason I went to the United or how I got there with my bestie, she had a boyfriend and he had a watch business. And while I was in college, I used to sell watches for him. I mean, those are like Audemars, Breitlings, Rolexes, special pieces. And he had a business set up in New York, and uh, he said, well, he could help us. He's, we can stay in his apartment for the first month, but then we have to take over and pay rent. So that was like maybe the, the, the jump off to just get there. At the same time, I had a boyfriend in the United States that I met over in Switzerland, and uh, I just didn't want to rely on him, so I just went there anyway, but on my own terms. So that was like... You know, and I, I went to visit a half a year before the first time in the United States. So I was very secure. I wanted to go and stay there. Wow. 
Okay. I, I, I love this story for many reasons. One of the things that the listeners are always curious about is what happens when you get into a country? How do you figure out how to connect across you know, cultures and boundaries? And your case is unique because you said you spoke very little English. America is very, very English, uh, <laughs> yeah. even though they have a large population, you know, immigrant population. So, you know, right. what things did you start to to do to connect personally and professionally? And since you said you realized acting wasn't for you, how did you figure to make yourself, you know, employable to other people? Right. right. Um, I mean, first of all, English is just something I always spoke to my dead time boyfriend in English. So it just it came you know, reading, watching TV, and the time you just you're gonna learn you 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 know you're gonna learn everyday new words and how to how to talk. Um, well, how I came to the United States and I wanted to do acting first. I did a gig already over here in Switzerland, and I had a connect over there in the states. And then he kind of like said, well, first of all, you have to talk perfectly English. You have to be able to uh, connect to different accents and just learn everything. And um, I went to acting school, I did like a course for like six months, and I just saw that it's not for me to be an actress, it's not my talent, but my talent is behind the scenes. I like managing, I like, I'm good in organizing things, and I'm good in uh, opening businesses, or to start something, have an idea, and really all of this is motivation. If you have a lot of motivation, and that's really what you want to do, um, you're going to figure out a way. Now, when I came to New York, first of all, um, I was still was working with the watch guy um and there uh it was interesting because it's sales so and I, I didn't really know that my talent is really sales uh and, and just managing things and be on point and be on time and stuff uh but that was really like basically the start and um when i came to new york that company like after two months they went to hong kong so the, the whole company moved to hong kong because the business was bigger there and he said well you guys can come over there as well and just work from there. But I wasn't, I'm like, no, I'm in love with New York. <laughs> I want to stay here. <laughs> so funny thing is um, I had no green card at that time, no work permit, and you only have like a 90-day visa to, for, for as a tourist. So I had to figure it out within 90 days what I'm going to do. Um, so to, to make money, <laughs> I did work at a strip club um for like two months maybe but that's where i learned the most english because you got to talk to people and entertain them because in the end of the day it's not just dancing the most money i made was definitely with talking 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 and <laughs> they would just spend money um after that i met a very good friend there we still friends to this day and she kind of told me a little bit about the business she does next to uh, like next to her like bartending job at the strip club and it was escort service. And she explained to me how all of that like worked with advertisement, um, how the rules are, how the laws are, how she gets the girls, because she was studying and it was just an income for her. And uh, it was interesting. She teached me how to like do, uh, you know, the ads, how all of that, like, you know, how she does it with the apartments. And uh, she said, well, maybe we can do something together. So at first I went back to Switzerland because my 90 days ran out. Um, and, but I made really good money. So I had some money. So I went back to the States, um, obviously took over the apartment and, uh, I started that business with that girl, you know, cause well, I, said, well, I have some well, ideas. Wait, you got into real estate. First of all, okay. So first of all, you were making money. Uh, you said you, you work in a strip club and that built, you know, you figured out to build relationships because I guess people have different desires, but then through your friend there. You saw that she was she had something in in the real estate business, sort of. No, no, no. It was not real estate. You need apartments where the girls can stay. And at that time, Airbnb was very new, but like people didn't use it for escort girls or whatever, you know. So people didn't really know about it. And she had a very good way of doing it. She would have like a fake ID and just rent these apartments monthly, and then the girls would go in work there, and then they go to a different place. So the place basically the the place doesn't get hot. You know, that people yeah. go in and out. And um, I just, when I saw how she did it, I just had a much better idea. And I just wanted to make it bigger and more expensive and more exclusive. And that's why at one point we did part ways, but in a, in a friendly way, it's just I took a different route than her, you know, um, the mm -hmm. way I did it. 
yeah. now many people even me i'm very ignorant to this uh this world so when you say <laughs> escort service right please explain to us what is involved in an escort service what does an escort do well Basically, an escort can just be someone that goes with you to dinner, um, to events, uh, or as well just spends private time with you. Now, gotcha. I never advertise sex or anything, um, mm-hmm. but it's something that could be included that is really depending on two adults to decide. That's how gotcha. it's <laughs> said, gotcha. right? Yeah, um, yeah, and like so, like the movie. Uh, what's the what's that movie with Jennifer Lopez? The Hustlers. Hustlers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I watched that movie too, yeah. Yeah, huh. Okay, it's, wow. Okay, so th- this is what, it, this is the thing that I've noticed with you, Nivis. So you've had this drive, right? You are, since you were a kid, you've always wanted to do something unconventional. And you knew that you didn't want to do the traditional path, but you wanted to be successful in whatever you chose. You know, it wasn't the lawyer, doctor, engineer path, but it was, right. it was something that you felt like, you, you know, I guess you could make money, but you could use your skills. And I think from what I'm listening to, sales and even marketing and understanding the motivations of people are unique skills that you have. Would you agree or disagree? Absolutely. I just was like a diamond in the rough and you always have to work on uh, whatever you're good at, you know? And, And I just figured that back then I wanted to make quick money to establish something else, but I wasn't sure what I was gonna do. Uh, but definitely I saw I have that talent and I love doing it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then, okay. So walk us through after, after that, what's the next step for you? You, you, you start to realize that you might have a future here. How do you sustain yourself? How do you make sure you're, you know, you're successful in, in, in a foreign country? What's next? Uh, even I made really good money. I mm-hmm. decided I wanted to do something on my own and I had to get into uh, whatever she's doing because you're starting from zero, right? So you have no girls, you have no clients uh, and nothing. So what she would do, she would work more with like Backpage and I got a little bit into like, see, okay, where is there like, advertisement for like more exclusive girls? Um, and, and there was a site and I just started advertising there. Then my friend that works in Switzerland, she's a professional. By the way, in Switzerland, prostitution is legal. There's clubs here, there's brothels here, and it's that's so like crazy. A regular job, yeah. But so, it's, so, so, it's it, by the way, it's not even. I'm not, I'm not even like saying crazy in a good or bad way. It's interesting how the world is. You're saying, I know in in Netherlands it's legal. You're saying in Switzerland is also legal. Yes. And and in many parts of I guess some parts of Europe, but. Here, it's not, is what you're saying. And so... Right. it's not. I mean, escort is legal as long as there's no sex involved, right? Hmm. So yeah, that's why wow. these sites do exist and you just never advertise sex. Um, but I saw it's just a huge market because people know it's illegal, even for clients, you know, they are, they are unsure. If I go somewhere or I call this site, maybe, you know, it's going to be a trap from the police because they do have a lot of traps. So I saw if I have good girls, and they come in on a 90-day uh, visa, they can stay for 90 days, work for me, and then they go back. So I have always new girls. And in the club that she worked, is about 50 girls. And, and from one girl, you meet the other one and this one. And, you know, you get recommended to, to uh, you know, girls. That's why I know a lot of girls. <laughs> um, so also I saw, I, I lived in a diamond district, which is uh, on 50, uh, 47th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue. Now, the apartment that I had used to be an office. So it's like basically an office building. But on the top floor, penthouse floor, there was an apartment. Now, I saw there's a bunch of apartments next to me. And the owner, he said, okay, you can just pay me in cash, but a little bit more. So my rent was 3100 a month for like one and a half bedrooms. And yeah. I saw all the other ones were empty too. So I started to rent them because no one can, when someone goes into the building, it could be a client from whatever, from the diamond people, you know, no one can really see that. And at night it's closed. So people, I have security, basically, I have to let people into the cart and they can go up into the apartment. So I rented a bunch of apartments there. Then, of course, different Airbnbs. And I just put the girls in there. Of course, I didn't. I started with like two girls and then it just I started networking. I go out to every event. I do every charity event. I go to the golf course, um, hang out in the country club. <laughs> And to different cigar bars and just give out cards. And these cards, you can't really tell what it is. It's not a pink card that said escort service. No, it's like a black card. <laughs> it just says a number. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
there was different places that like private gentlemen clubs where women can go in or you have to be a member. And I had different ways of getting in and just giving these cards out like very discreetly. And with time, of course, people say, hey, this is a good service. She has good girls. It's always on time. Whatever she promises happens. Um, so it's just is a, is a word of mouth. So it's a recommendations that I got. And with time, I think within nine months, it started really to hit. And I needed more girls and more girls and drivers and, and all kinds of stuff. So I had to get more organized. Um, so it started basically with Wall Street. Wall Street on Friday at 3 p.m. until Sunday usually. It's very busy. It's really, it's like a two-day uh, binge that most people party. And of course, they want chicks. Uh, from there, a lot of financial people came in, and then, of course, businessmen. Uh, then it spread out to Hollywood, and I had some royalty from, uh, you know, overseas. Uh, yeah, and then politicians came. Also, I started going out every night to the clubs um, under the week, you know, there's different hotspots. And the girls said they're models, uh, or, you know, even like they just work in the industry, and most of them work. And I just had a strategy how to get them interested without being weird, you know, because you don't want to be approached by nobody and, and ask me things like that. First of all, I make good money. So I always make sure I dress well. I sit at the best table. I know people and people are going to want to talk to you. And that way, if they say, hey, how do you make money? I said, well, you can find out, you know, let's have a coffee. <laughs> and then you explain so, that to them yeah. how much money they could <laughs> make. And people would just be like, damn, I'm a model, but I'm, the, I'm not really making money right now. And it's crazy. Models really are the most, like, I think most girls work in this business in the beginning. It doesn't mean all of them. And then on top of that, my friend from Italy, he had a model agency in New York, and he would recommend me to a lot, a lot of girls. So at this point, you're pretty successful. You've come to America, your dream country at this, at this point. You, you aren't an actress, but you're running an agency. And you're building connections, and people recognize you as the plug. What is going on in your head right now, and how are you transitioning with your business? Right. So I think, and that's, again, a learning process. I just thought, um, first of all, I never made this much money in my life. So imagine you have so many girls, and you have so many calls a day, and you're making 500 an hour. And then, of course, you have costs for, like, rent and stuff. But I had to figure out, okay, this works pretty smooth. What am I going to do with this money? So in the music business, I really like to manage like or be an um, A&R, like develop artists and stuff. So I met somebody that works at uh, Sony Records, and he basically offered me an internship for free. So during the day, I was working there. I was learning, meeting people, just understanding the business. And he teached me a lot. You know, it was just no pay. So... Obviously, I had to make money somehow or have an income. And uh, that's when I started. Like, I met one artist. Like, basically, I knew his father. And he had a very talented son who was a rapper. And I started to manage him and a very good friend of mine that wanted to become a singer. And she definitely put in the work. So I started networking in the music industry as well. So I made sure I go to the events. I give out my card. And I'm trying to learn, you know, like, what does it take? Because it's pretty hard to, like, bring an artist or, you know, develop an artist or just manage them. But I love doing it. So I saw myself doing that in the, in the future. Um, so while I was managing them, uh, I just saw it doesn't, like, it, I put a lot of money and time into it. But it, it's just not, not really coming back. So I took a part of my money and invested it in other businesses, just as well to, like, you know, basically uh, have another business running because it's not something I knew I can't do this my whole life, obviously, and I have to be careful. But at the same time, I thought like I never get caught, you know, so <laughs> and it's a mistake if you think that way. But I was definitely on point when it comes to phones, computers, advertisement, security, because <laughs> in the end, you don't really have to advertise no more. People will really like hit you up and, and just got, you know, from, from recommendations. So that worked out pretty well. Uh, until I kind of stepped into uh, drugs, you know, and, and that wasn't like something that I really wanted to do. Uh, it was just always uh, requested by the clients. And I saw, okay, one guy is 5 a.m., maybe a little drunk. He wants to party and I just wouldn't have no connections or, you know, he would just stay with the girl for an hour. And if he would get high, or, you know, with his own connections or whatever, uh, he would say 10 hours. 
And that makes a huge difference money-wise. Mm. So that was like basically my big mistake that I did. Definitely. So, okay. So when you, when you saw that, did you say it's a big mistake? Did you explain more? Because I, I want the audience to understand why it's what led to, you know, everything coming back. Right. <laughs> so right, right, right. did you, yeah. So what happened with the drugs? Did you? So the thing is, I don't know nothing about drugs, drug dealing or the law. Um, I just, figured, okay, um, I'm going to find myself someone that has these connections and would just swing by and sell his product, you know, that I have nothing to do with it. And it worked out well until I can't rely on these people no more. So it's maybe 5, 6 a.m. I need someone to go down there or, you know, whatever and, and bring something. And uh, so when I missed a very big opportunity, I said, you know what, I'm going to get my own connect, and which I did. And I just bought a bunch of drugs to like basically either give for free to the clients or just maybe sell them for cheap because I didn't care about drug money. Uh, it was just more like that they have fun, they have good stuff, and they're going to be up for a very long time and spend money, especially when they get high. They want the girls to stay and talk and talk and talk. Um, so it just made a big difference when it, come, when it came to the hours. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't really seeing myself as a drug dealer, but I was. And, you know, it was just, I was saying, no, actually, it's just a favor. I don't really want to do this, but I kind of got into it, you know? So with time, when it came to the music industry and just people that I know, they knew I had a good connect and they would just buy drugs of me, which I didn't really want to do. But let's say with the girls, I said at least, okay, you got to um, get a girl or you got to do me a, another favor in the music. Well, maybe I give you this and that, but, and a girl uh, on top of that, but I want a few, few, few beats or I want to, you know, I want to put my, my girl on as a singer. Gotcha. And the, the thing is, with time, you don't even think about it no more. What are you doing? It's so illegal what you do. I mean, it's, it's anyway illegal. But I think the things with the girl is like you need a lot of proof uh, to like come up because I was always switching apartments, getting new girls, new advertisements. So I was really on point with that. But when it came to drugs, I was very naive. I just wouldn't think, oh, it's not so bad because it's just three, four grams here and three, four grams there. It's not that bad. Um, but you have that stuff in your house and you're selling it basically. And, um, so basically, oh how it, yeah, but it's like you starting and then you stop really realizing how much you're selling. Cause in the end it was a lot, you know, uh, it just, yeah, it, I guess it went around that it was good quality because I never mixed it. I didn't care for the price. I give it to you for a little bit money because I just wanted the favors back or that you stay with the girls as long as possible. Um, and I think that was the downfall, how it came to my arrest as well, because I didn't know, I didn't inform myself either with the law, you know, because in Switzerland, the law is very lenient. First of all, prostitution is legal. Drugs is like, they just want you to get out of, out of jail and go back into society. So they won't give you a lot of time. And uh, you probably don't even have to go to jail in general. Depends how much you're selling, right? Um, yeah. And I didn't inform myself. So the guy that was like a brother to me, in the music industry, he's pretty big, um, and um, he introduced me to a lot of people. He made sure I can go to all the events, and he, he really helped me with the music uh, business. And um, he asked me for a favor. He's like, I know you have that connect. Um, maybe you could give me that connect. And I said, I really can't, because I can't bring nobody in. The way I got in is because um, I was engaged to somebody that had a family member that was in, in, in that whole circle. Um, so I said, you know, I can't do that. So then he's like, oh, okay, I got it. So then a few months later, he's like, well, you know, I made a mistake. I invested in some, something and we lost all the money and everyone got arrested. And now I, I have no stuff. Like I have no product and I just, I really need your, your, your connect. And I said, I can't do that. He's like, well, but I'm helping you, but you can't help me. So I felt bad, you know? And then I said, you know what, if you need a little bit of product, I can help you with that. But as just one time because if I get robbed or anything I just don't know nothing about it and, and I'm a chick you know <laughs> so I don't want you to have that risk um so I met with the guy we all met in a restaurant and I was always very like on point but I trusted this guy blindly um so I didn't really look at certain things like he had a phone on the table which in other cases I would always be paranoid but I just wasn't because of trust which is naive and um so I was sitting there with the guy. He's like, well, he just wants this and this amount. And I said, I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to talk to somebody. And then we get back. So 
right after Christmas in 2012 was December 27th. Um, I actually agreed with the, to meet the guy and sell him a half a kilo. And um, I half a kilo. Right, and for a good price on top of that, I said it's just a favor. You know, I'm not. I'm. I did make a little bit of money off it, of course, but even my fiance said, "Listen, this is a really bad idea. Like, I, I don't. I don't like that idea." But anyway, uh, I had to. Um, I was. I'm very hard headed, so I just did whatever because I said I promise, and I'm gonna do it just one time. And when I came there to the restaurant to basically do the drop, um, was an Asian restaurant on the Upper East Side. The guy was coming in. And my back was turned to the door and to the windows. And uh, he sat down and I saw he was very nervous. And I said, well, just order something to drink, you know, because I packed it up like a gift because it was right after Christmas. And um, then he said very loudly, like, I have the money. And in that second, he was, I saw his fingers were shaking. I turn around and I just see lights. And basically the, the FBI, the DA, everyone came into there and made a big bust. Like they shut it down, right? They raided mm. the, the place and um, all the, it was full, the restaurant, all the people were screaming and whatever. So they arrested the guy. And then they, I was like so in shock. I'm like, I'm just going to walk out. So I just grabbed my handbag and I walked out. And then the guy comes after me, the agent, and he told me who he is. And he read me my rights. And very softly, he put me on the floor and put handcuffs on me. And I'm like, hold on. I have nothing to do with this. <laughs> you know, I was just in <laughs> shock. But I knew... For fact, if someone reads your, your rights, Miranda rights, it's pretty serious. So they put me in a car and uh, then he said, where do you live? And I'm like, I don't want to say anything. He's like, you just got to give us your address. So I made up an address in Harlem to get time to think. Right. And then they're like, really? So they said they said my whole name uh, at that time. They, they showed me a lot of pictures. They're like, this is the DA. This is the FBI, NYPD and New York State Police. And we know who you are. We've been watching you. And he showed me pictures for like three, four months, maybe. Um, oh, my gosh. The people I shouldn't be hanging out. But there was no picture of actually. It's just I got myself a dog so I can leave the house many times a day to meet girls, to pick up money, to do this. But they had pictures of, yeah, they just definitely were watching me. And um, then he said, we're going to go to your house now. Who is in there? Do you have a gun? And I, have, I said, I have a dog. And she's, she's a little pit bull. You know, she's probably going to attack you not like in a crazy way but she will so he's like well we're gonna shoot your dog uh we're gonna go through your apartment whatever whatever now in the apartment was was were some people and uh, i'm like oh my god i didn't know what to do what to say i was just in shock so they shut down the whole block where i was living at and uh they raided the place so i just saw when i was i was in the car i saw how everyone got arrested in the apartment they brought them out and we went down to the dea uh, headquarters and then they told me, and I was just I'm like, no, they couldn't be here for me. This is a big mistake. I still didn't believe it, right? So they told me, well, you have now a choice. You can either give us the person that you got the drugs from, or you're going to do 25 years, right? And, and he said, I'm building up him like 25 years. This, is, wow. this sounds crazy, but he showed it to me on a paper. So I'm like, you know what? I'm a, um, I want a lawyer. I know I have to write for a lawyer, and I just have nothing to say. So they said, well... On top of that, everything we found in your apartment is another charge. So right now you're charged with 12 counts of A1 felony. And I'm like, I don't even know what, a fel or what a felony is. I never heard of it, you know? So it was pretty bad. So then they said, well, the other people in your apartment, they all will be charged as well. But you can choose who takes the charges for the apartment. I'm like, it's my apartment. So I, I messed up. I will take all the, the charges. So I basically wrote a statement the first night that everything is on me so these other people can go home. Um, and then they put, of course, a lot of pressure on me and I said, well, I'm not going to set up nobody, but I never heard of snitching either. You know, it was like something I never heard of, like you're getting arrested, but get somebody else arrested and then you're not going to jail. So I'm like, no, and I just don't trust nobody because I don't know nothing. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ...about it, so I need time. They put me in some home, and they grabbed me out uh, the next day and they said, well, now you have one more chance to talk to us. And she's really, because I was just, I turned 20, I was just 24 at that time. It was right before my birthday. And I said, no, uh, I want a lawyer. And they said, okay, now we're going to process you. So I had to do mugshot, fingerprints, all that stuff. And um, I had to go in front of a judge. The judge offered me 15 years and made a bail. And then I had one phone call, so I called my fiance, and he's like, listen, you're about to go to Rikers Island. I've been there. And he gave me some advice, like, don't talk to nobody, don't do this, don't do that. And I'm like, what is this place? He's like, it's pretty bad, but you're going to survive. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. And I was really like, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy because a lot of people, they are scared of Rikers Island, and they know about it, but I was never in that world. So I didn't know. And so they, they brought me to Rikers Island, um, processed me there. And I was finally able to take a shower after like nine hours. And there was a chick next to me in the shower. And someone came in and she stabbed her up right in front of me. And I'm like. Stabbed her? Did you just say stabbed? Stabbed, stabbed her up like really bad. She was just bleeding on the phone. I, I just turned myself around. I'm like, I don't want to see nothing. And I don't know how, how to be like in here, you know. Um, wow. But again, I think I'm pretty good with people. And how to like get along with people as well and to understand where I'm at because you have to change from me being a little diva, having a driver, making my 50, 60 grand a month, um, never have to worry about nothing, not even thinking about, uh, you know, something happening to me. And now from one day to the other, I'm in this situation where I have no control over and I just see people getting stabbed. Um, and then on top of that, I don't know how much time I'm going to be in jail or in prison. So it was it was a pretty big shock, um, but uh, I think I had my first court date in the beginning of January, and I had of course just a, I had no lawyer hired at this point. So just the lawyer from the state went in front of the the, the judge and said, "Well, she's from Switzerland." So boom, my bail just went up, and I had a four day. Um, you know they have to check the money if you have like a drug case, where the money comes from. But I didn't care for bail anyway. I just needed a lawyer. Problem was, of course, in the house. They took all my money uh, and everything from my house. So I had no cash at this point. But um, I did have life insurances. I put in money in different life insurances uh, in Switzerland, which is legal. You can do that, you know. Uh, so I took all the life insurances out to get a good lawyer, which I was able to hire. And uh, this lady, I remember the first lawyer I interviewed because he came to see me in right because he's like, look, I want 100,000 cash <laughs> up front to even take your case. And maybe I get you five years, but just count like with eight. So I'm like, I'm not hiring you. You don't sound, it doesn't sound right to me because it was not that much drugs. But then again, it's my first uh, arrest, you know, so it just, it didn't seem right to me. So I hired this lady and uh, she went through uh, everything with the arrest, right? All the points, the 12 felonies. And she's like, this is, and first of all, the warrant, they didn't have an apartment because the guy that snitched on me, I just moved. So he didn't know the apartment number. So everything they found in the house, which was a lot more drugs, uh, you know, and, and it was next to a school on top of that. So it was possession, potential for sale, like all these things, all of that dropped. So it looked much better at this point. The other thing was they put in that I had underage girls working for me, which never happened. Never, never, never. I had never a girl do anything that she doesn't want to do. Everyone was at least 18, but even I didn't have no 18-year-olds. They were at least 20, 21 up there, you know? Um, and then Vice came to interview me, and they asked me a bunch of questions, and uh, they said, no, we can't really charge you with anything like that because we really have no proof. No one has ever said that. They just try to charge you with as many felonies they can and see what's going to stick to you. And that's why what I think about the system it is so sad. If you don't have money for a good lawyer, I would have gotten a lot of time, a lot. And these charges would have stick to me even I'm not guilty of them. But I can't really prove to them 
uh, that it's not true. So I was very glad to have that lawyer. And uh, in the end, you know, there's a back and forth where you have to go um, to uh, the, the, the district attorney, to courts, back and forth. So I think in April, um, we came to an agreement. I took a plea deal. Um, and I was blessed. He said, look, I'm going to just give you four years. And after two, you can deport yourself. This is a nonviolent crime. Switzerland and USA have a good relationship. And then you just can never come back here. And the crazy thing is even the state's attorney said to me, if you ever come back to this country, I'll make sure you're going to uh, go to jail for a very long time, possibly life. I will make sure of that. Because he said, I can't wow. stand this whole thing. Because he only, you know, the whole like plea deal stuff, he just wasn't happy because he thought at least I'm going to give her eight years. So now I'm getting only four, can deport myself after two. Um, he didn't really win, the, win a big case, you know, and no one got arrested after me because I didn't talk. I didn't give nobody up. They tried everything. They like give us the client list, give us this, give us, give us something. And I'm like, I can't give you anything. And I don't know what you're talking about. Because again, the proof that I had a prostitution ring was just non-existent. There was nothing that really stick. Again, having a good lawyer, very important. But I wasn't really stupid, but I always had the drug case on top of me, you know? Okay. And, and, and this. <laughs> no, no, there's just so much. Your life is, is, is like a movie. It really is like a movie. <laughs> All right. So before I'm going to pause it before we go to what happens after you get deported. Right. What is prison like? Right. <laughs> what is oh, Rikers man. Island? We talk about Rikers Island all the time. We see, we hear it. You know, we've heard about Alcatraz when it used to when it used to be there. But Rikers Island, I, you know, I live in New York. I want you to talk about why you said a, a good lawyer is really important and what prison actually was like. Right. So first of all, I mean, Rikers Island is pretty famous for like. Yep. Uh, corruption and and what's going on in there i mean first of all i'm 5'2 uh, 105 pounds back then so i was a, a short girl and, I, and i'm a foreigner you know i have an accent so when you go in there they're gonna see okay what are your charges and that's the basically the dorm or the block you're gonna get put in so my charges were pretty high so i was with people probably gonna do a long a long time and and rikers aren't just how it works it's so much corruption. It's so much unfair stuff happening. I mean, uh, first of all, medical staff. Most of them don't even have a degree. The girl that's supposed to take in blood out of me, like she couldn't even set the needle right. Um, they just want to give you as many um, drugs or, or from, you know, like pills as possible so they can charge the pharma companies or whatever the state. Um, and it's just people have, you have to be like understanding what is the game. First of all, Women and gangs, they, it's, it's existed, it exists, but you don't have to be part of it. I think it's worse with the men, you know, like, but it's just, you always have to make sure people don't listen to your phone calls. And, and I'm not a fighter, but I will, I, you will have to fight because if, if someone robs you, you have to fight them because if, if you don't do it, they will rob you every single day. If someone makes fun of you or like wants to do stuff to you, they will always do it to you. You know, so mm -hmm. you have to be uh, careful. And then again, don't get involved with other people's problems. A lot of people, they are just bored all day. So what do they do? They're starting problems. They think, oh, I'm in Rikers. I'm a bad, I'm a bad person or whatever. I'm a, I'm a uh, you know, I want to behave bad and I want to fight. So you got to be a little bit careful how you move, who you talk to. And uh, just don't get involved in no, no business. And people want to just rob you based on your commissary and stuff, you know. Um, <laughs> so... Wow. Definitely, they, they definitely tried me, um, but I have met a lot of cool people in prison. Uh, a lot of people that I think is, is just the cultures is, is so different, right? Because I was always around people in the industry or like people that are really educated. And a lot of people in there, not to be mean, but they're very uneducated and never had the chance or never even left Brooklyn or the Bronx or, or Manhattan. And they don't know nothing about outside. So they, you know, they just. You know, and then there's a certain situations. So even a girl that I met in there, she was 16 uh, and she got 13 years because she fought a guy off that tried to rape her and he died. You know, things like that. And she just had not a good lawyer um, or money to hire a lawyer. And I feel like that's so crazy about the system. That's what I mean by that. Like if you have a lawyer that works for the state. And these issues have been around in the United States. You know, even the Khalif Browder case was the same thing. Yeah, the um, Khalif Browder case for sure. Yeah. Right, right. And, and that's why it was very touching for me because it was around that time when I was there as well. And it's just, 
you know, these, these kids are so young. So now you get out of prison after 13 years because you got attacked by somebody. You try to help yourself, of course, fight the guy off. By coincidence, he died because he fell on a, on, in the street or whatever. And then you go to prison for that. So it's just unfair that only money again or a good lawyer or connections can help you uh, to get out of that situation. You know, and while you are in prison, you can always get new charges. And if you know, okay, I'm going to stay here for a longer time, you might do some stupid stuff. You know, you get involved in things. I don't know. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, this is, this is, I, we need, we need to get the, we need to get to the movie part. Um, okay. <laughs> for sure. All right. This is the, so, this is, so go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Because I said that this is Rikers Island, right? Now, if you go upstate, if you're really going to be in prison, it's again, a whole other, it's very different. Prison now is a little bit different because people know how much time they're going to do. Um, you have a schedule, but even there, it's just, incredible how women get mis mistreated in these prisons and no one really sticks together the men they're gonna uh, start a raid they're gonna pro protest and they're gonna stick together women they don't so when you look at what you can bring into a men's prison and what you can bring into a woman's prison is is extremely different you know yeah wow yeah, yeah so it's, it's a whole complete different thing when you're gonna be on state and it, i mean yeah it's still the same thing people are gonna try you or whatever but you have to find your place so you can do your programs. You, got, you don't get any tickets and you can get out of there as soon as possible. And it's crazy. If you say you have two years, people will try to like make sure you're going to go to shoe, solitary confinement uh, or get you a ticket. So you have to stay longer. So I told people I'm doing eight years all the time. So they're not going to come after me uh, and try to mess up my, my marriage. You know, the marriage is basically the time when you can get out with, with, uh, when you have no tickets. You know? So the longer you said you were doing, the more respect you got. Yes. And it's just, I saw crazy stuff like a girl would have two more days and then she could go home. They started the fight with her. She got into shoe, got an additional six months. <laughs> oh, right? This is, <laughs> so, you, wow. Uh, and okay. you start from scratch with the whole programs and stuff. Again, you yeah. Know? You start over. Uh, how do you, this is what, I, this is probably my favorite question. What did you start to learn about yourself here? You know? I, I, I know you're very entrepreneurial and you, you understand people, but you admitted that you made some poor choices, right? Yes. Um, in, in another country and all those things. I'm just curious as to what your mindset is, because we're going to transition into getting back to your home country. But right. I'm curious as to where your state of mind was and how you reinvented yourself with your goal. Right. Um, I, am, I remember one night was very, like, had an impact on me. So. Unfortunately, when I first came to uh, Bedford Hills, they put me in uh, in shoe and in solitary confinement because they thought I cheated on a test. Now, because my education didn't count in the United States, they put me in as basically um, not even high school before high school. What what is that called again? Uh, middle school. Yeah, yeah. So, but I had a college degree, and you know, Switzerland has one of the best education systems, and I scored like a very high IQ test. Uh, and the school test. So and they said, well, you cheated because you have no education. You don't have a high school degree. I'm like, well, I'm from a different country. I do the test again. They said, no, you cheated. You're going to uh, solitary confinement. And one night when I was in there, I had no phone calls, no money. No one knew where I was. And I had one toothbrush, <laughs> one like comb for my hair. They forgot me in the cell for like a day with no food. And I remember I looked out the little window and I'm like, you know what? I have so much motivation to get out of here and I will appreciate life. Every day counts. Every hour counts. I will not waste one more minute in my life on stupid stuff or making mistakes or do something illegal because it's not worth it to be here. It's just, it's not. Mm -hmm. There was like the one night that I promised myself I work out every day. Uh, I read books. I just, I get ahead in this time, even when I'm here, I, I try to make the best out of it. And um, that's like what, what motivated me. Uh, when you had everything and I kind of got it quick because it was illegal, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm on top. I'm on top. But then it, it just it got away so fast. So it was like a great learning experience to have nothing and to figure out how can I survive here and how can I get out of this situation. And that teach me a lot because now, even in this crisis, we have to be in the house with the coronavirus. Yeah. Not really, I don't like it, but I know what to do with myself. I just know 
how to survive. If I lose everything tomorrow, I know I can start over again. I know I have the motivation. I have the skills. I can just, you know, I have to learn something. If I want to start a new business, I have to just read about it. So it's like the motivation that I got from in there, it's, it's priceless. And I just knew I have to figure out what am I going to do with my talent and how can I make money with this legally? Yeah, you, you, you know, I mean, it's very hard for you to appreciate life until you have your liberties taken away from you. And it sounds Absolutely. like, yeah, it sounds like, you know, you, you came here, it seemed like, oh my goodness, I'm making this much amount of money this okay. quickly. I know this person, no one's caught me. I have a team. And then you you get caught and then you're, you're in prison and then you, they're just treating you in a inhumane way. And you're saying to yourself, if I get another opportunity, I'm going to do it differently. Wow. Yes. Okay. That's easy. I, yes, I, you know, you know, I, I um, lost two years, but I think what I gain is like, just let's say I never got caught. I would never get arrested. I don't know where I'm going to be today. I, I don't know what will happen because I was not being careful where I was, who was around me and what I was doing. Somebody could have robbed me. Somebody could have set me up and I would just not even like, uh, no, again, I'm not a street person. I have some street smarts, but then again, uh, sometimes I was just naive and maybe very arrogant to my situation. <laughs> yeah, I well, can hey, say like that. <laughs> yeah, you're very self-aware, though. I mean, you can admit that you were arrogant. I mean, you thought the world revolved around you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just and, untouchable. I just thought because I have money, I hire people, people like me, people do favors for me, and I know how I can get to them. I know what they like, what they want, and I know their secrets. So, <laughs> you know. Yeah, this is great. And I was very young. Imagine I was, I mean, think my best year, I was 22 years old. I made about 800,000 a year. I had, um, I had someone that basically hired me and put a, a check in my account. And uh, I just like, basically as taxes. So it wasn't like um, that I was just living crazy and, and people, I, I would still look, okay, what can I do with this money that, you know, um, that I still have, that I still pay taxes and have income. Right, right. Okay. Well, okay. So then you finally get out. You're yes. going back to Switzerland. What is it like? What does your family say? What is your mindset? How do you start over? I, I want to know everything. So basically, when you finish your time and you have an immigration hold, you're going to get deported. So that means you're going to go through immigration jail. Now, what I definitely want to say is solitary confinement in immigration jail. I think immigration jail is worse. It, it's worse. What? Yes, absolutely. And that's what I'm trying to say. A lot of people don't understand. If people are illegal in the United States, even they haven't committed a crime, they can be held in there up to two years. They try out drugs on you. They're not FDA approved. They will just give you limited food. Um, you can't even go outside. You, I was 24 hours inside. There is no outside. You can walk in front of yourself for half an hour a day or take a shower in two minutes. That's all you have. And Again, if you ask for a phone call, there's no phone call. There's nothing. There's a, yeah, you can, you can use the phone over there. It hasn't worked in six years, but try, you know? So um, I feel bad for a lot of people, especially when they don't have money for a ticket. Now, my dad, we have eight presidents over here in the government, and they all make decisions. And my dad uh, had a, a friend that worked with the, one of the presidents, and he actually got me back within a week. So my, my family paid for a ticket. And he made sure I get through pretty, pretty quick. If I didn't have that, I don't know if they would have kept me for two years, but it could have taken me for months. And it's, it's a horrible place in there. Very bad. Um, and uh, I, I guess I'm confused. Though. So, wait, so wait, you're out of prison. And what's the holdup? I mean, you can, don't, no, can't you, you make a phone call and then have people no, just come pick you up? No. So the thing is this. They didn't even really tell when they're going to pick me up. So I knew I'm going to leave, but immigration will pick you up, which is ICE. And ICE will bring you into a different cell, so they're going to process you. But they don't want to spend money on you going back where you came from, so your family has to pay for it. And the paperwork, it's just a lot of paperwork they have to do. And no one is going to say, hey, this criminal, we want them back in our country really quick, so let's do this paperwork. I just happened, my dad happened to know somebody that could hurry that whole process up, but you're still in jail. And it's worse than solitary confinement. And it's what a lot of people don't understand. These detention centers that Trump is doing everywhere, they are horrible. It's horrible conditions, you know? And, wow. um, and that's why I feel really bad because if you don't have money, if you don't have, like, if your government is not really into paperwork or doing all that real quick, you're going to be there for a long time. 
And again, yeah. you have zero rights, really zero. And so, and if your country doesn't have a good relationship with the United States, it's it's even more complicated. Right. I mean, the thing is this, I didn't I just tried that and kind of worked. At one point I said, well, I want to call the Swiss embassy. That right you have. You can call your embassy, but a lot of people they don't know their right. Um, you know, so I, I was able to call and they said, well, we can't tell you anything because they're going to come get you and they're not going to tell no one when. So you can't, you know, so they're not going to, you're not trying to flee, you know, or run away gotcha. or whatever. Gotcha. So yeah. luckily I got like after seven days, they called my name and I jumped. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, <laughs> I jumped, they brought me to uh, JFK. I had to go through everything. So they took my DNA picture of the eye fingerprints, everything. And then these two uh, guys, basically, they were, they were really nice guys, actually. They, they escorted me to the plane. I got into the plane, and it was crazy to me. I mean, first of all, I was extremely skinny. I had seen no sunlight. Uh, and it's just a weird feeling. Like, you kind of free, but you're in the, in the plane. So when I landed in Switzerland, it was about 8.30 in the morning. Um, the police took me out of the plane. They run the fingerprints to see if I have everything, anything, like, in Switzerland or I'm wanted or whatever. So all of that was fine. My dad picked me up and it was, I think, nine o'clock. I saw him at 11 o'clock. My sister got married and I was there. <laughs> so <laughs> you, yes. you came just in time for your sister's wedding. Yeah. And I had to I said, I have to call on my hair. It's like it grows so much. I have to like, <laughs> I have to do that. You know, yeah, <laughs> so it was crazy. in the pictures, you know, uh, I look so white in that picture. I know you're not white, but just I look. I look skinny and, you know, of course, you haven't slept really. You haven't eaten their food. And that's another thing. Um, the good food, I was getting sick for like a month because I was used to food that was already bad. Because even in prison and commissary, most of the foods, they're already bad when you buy them. Or even like the toast is green, moldy. Like they're giving you stuff that's really bad. So just to taste good food. But I was getting sick for like a month until my body was again used to um, good food, you know, regular food or natural food. Right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, basically, the wedding was amazing. Uh, saw my whole family there. I mean, my mom, she wrote me letters and stuff. Uh, she was very disappointed. And my dad was disappointed. He's like, why are you doing these things when you have a boyfriend to do that? <laughs> he's, just, he's Italian. He's like, why are you taking risks? And then at the same time, though, I have bailed out my dad before. Um, he has a criminal record as well. Uh, of course, he's disappointed, you know, but at the same time, when I made all this money, I am not greedy. I give, you know, so no one ever asked where does his money come from. But, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, I stayed at my sister's house for like a month uh, and I got basically the state gave me a little bit of money, which is very, very little, little but, you know, they helped me a little bit. Uh, I got a job within a month and it was it was a horrible job. I mean, horrible Basically, I worked 98 hours a week. Uh, my pay was 25 uh, Swiss francs an hour, which is like equivalent to the dollar. And I ran four, five brothels over here. I had to manage them. But I was just able, I never left the place. I, I, I rented a little uh, room over there. And I could just save money and get back into life. And I think the first two months uh, is a little bit hard. Because you had, I had a panic attack once. I can't even explain this to you. It's just, just for me to get up, go outside, uh, use a phone, just always, I always felt like if I hear a police car, I was, I felt like, oh my God, they're going to come get me again. So you just have yeah. to, PTSD. even, yeah. So it's like, even you're not doing anything wrong just to be outside. Or when a guy tried to talk to me, I was like, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Cause I'm not allowed to talk to nobody. Right. right. <laughs> so it's like, uh, it was really weird, but you get back into it. And I was just definitely, uh, throwing myself into work. Uh, and just try to get back on my feet, which is not really easy in Switzerland because most people here have a degree and they make a second degree and, and all these things. Um, and that's why uh, I, I ran the brothels. Uh, I got fired from there. I mean, fired. They just offered me less money. I'm not going to go work for less. And uh, so I started cleaning hotel rooms, the reception in a hotel. And uh, finally, someone gave me a break and said, you know what? It's a startup. But I'm going I'm to show you how headhunting works. And that's how I learned. I worked on commission on the weekends in the bar. So all I did is really work because, I, again, I just felt like I'm missing time. I'm missing time. I have to get back and, and just, you know, um, get back to like a place where I can get rich again. But legally, you know. <laughs> uh, 
but definitely my motivation stayed um, and, and my habit of going to the gym all the time stayed. And um, yeah, it's just, it, it took a minute, but I think I figured it out pretty good at this point to get back oh. into just life and, and uh, make good things happen. And as well, I want to give back because uh, I was very fortunate. I was unfortunate, but fortunate. It was like, you know, it was karma. I can't say it any, any different. Uh, that's definitely what the, this experience was about. Now you see why, you know, listeners, this is why I wanted to have her on, on the story. I, I think in life, sometimes we take a lot of important things for granted, rather. And we don't appreciate just how much we can do with the little time we have. In, in your case, you know, you had two years taken away from you. Who's to say what could have happened, good or bad, in those two years? Now, many people, it could be near-death experience or it could be a death in the family. When that time comes for you where something is about to be taken from you, are you going to be able to say that you've done everything you said you were going to do? You know, how many right. people can say that? That's, right. uh, <laughs> right. okay. And, and that was like, uh, you know, even with, with meditation and stuff and be motivational, like um, I learned how to train my brain to think positive. And, you know, like, like, like a lot of people say, if you have a, a wish or a dream, you got to have a plan. Otherwise, it just stays a dream. And, it does. Um, right. And so you got to have a plan. I always make myself a plan. And, um, and I just learned so much about me, how much I can, I can just, I have control over myself, over my brain, how I feel. Of course, everyone has a bad day at one point, but it's like, if you can get yourself out of there and start thinking positive, positive will happen. And I think yeah. my hard work definitely paid off at, at the point that I'm at right now. The human spirit is a beautiful thing. So that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. And now you have a book and right. pe people can get the book where, and you have a movie. Or you're working on a movie, rather. Right, right. So the book is uh, available on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, um, and, and probably on other other places because I'm distributed by Ingram, and they have a lot of um, you know places. But uh, you can go on my website www.theinternationalmadam.com, and there's much more info on it. Or my Instagram, Intel Madam, uh, at Intel Madam, or Facebook, The International Madam. There's much more info on it. I'll put that in the show notes so that people can go easily access that. So Perfect. Thank you. Uh, about the movie. So I was thinking when I saw Molly's Game, I uh, love the movie, by the way. Uh, I was just thinking, okay, my story could be a great movie too and a learning lesson for people, you know. So now what I'm working on is I have worked with someone on it, but I'm always open for other opportunities because we never know, you know, if that's going to really work out. But um I think a movie definitely be interesting and uh, I hope it's going to, you know, it's going to happen soon. Yeah. Yeah. So anyone, anyone listening, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you feel impacted by the story, you feel like uh, you, you could work with her as well. I know she's already working with some people. I think it'd be interesting to tell uh, a human story through your experiences because a lot of people can find themselves into that and they don't have to have been in the same industry, but that, desire to be better to make money to achieve sometimes can cost you uh, a part of your, your yourself you know where you feel like ah, I can sidestep the law here or I could oh I could be I could do something that I nor I normally wouldn't do just so you could get ahead and then that that, that wonderful lesson of, of redemption that you have and and just coming back to to who you truly are and doing things the way you said you wanted to do initially, I think that's such a beautiful story. Uh, so thank you. Interesting. And, and I think as well in the story, like basically the good side of the U.S. and then the whole other side that I have never experienced before. Or like I mean, a lot of people probably not, but it's like, uh, uh, but it's even I had so much fun in the states. I had a beautiful time over there. I mean, it's not like that I'm against it because I got locked up. It's my own. It's, it's my own fault. Um, but I think a lot of people in the whole world want to go to the United States and make it and, and do something, or even people who live in the United States. So I think uh, a lot of people can identify themselves in situations, you know, that I had. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, I, I agree. And, and I, I want to thank you for your honesty and for your uh, just openness, <laughs> raw openness with the story. You know, a lot of people wouldn't, uh, share what you shared, but uh, the fact that you really came here with the, the heart to, to give back is, uh, I think it's one of the best things about you. So thank you for doing that. 
And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where you go from this, because I, I think, uh, you know, with the lifetimes you've lived, the you know, the sky's the limit. So we're looking, we're interested. <laughs> right. No, I mean, I have to say first, I was definitely like not telling anyone or, or things. But then I, I met this girl through a good friend and she's like, you have to tell your story and people want to know these things. And now it's like the time. Because I'm like, yeah, maybe when I'm 50, I do it. But like, she's like, no, people can't identify themselves no more at that time. But tell your story because I'm laughing with you all night. And then at, and at the same time, I'm like, wow, like, that's crazy. <laughs> the whole yeah. story. So I think uh, I made a book out of it. And it's the best thing to make out of it. And if someone has a problem with it, I accept it as well. That's you, what you accept. <laughs> you accept every aspect of who you are. Yes. I, I have a, a, fin a final question I always ask my yes. guests. Uh, mm -hmm. So my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So I always ask my guests my mission statement in a question format. So Nivas, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, because I've seen how many people be uh, treated badly or poorly uh, in, in jail or have just no chance of getting a job or getting a good lawyer. Um, the money that I will make of the book and the movie will go into helping people to just get a better lawyer, a job after jail so they don't have to go back. Uh, and just to like basically support people, especially women um, who, who just that I have met that always go back to jail or just had, okay. a, you know, do so much more time. So I think that's that's a goal of mine that I definitely want to want to step in. Oh, I love it. You want to be able to use your influence and whatever income you make to at least help people that are affected by the system, uh, particularly right. women. Yeah. yeah. Huh. And especially huh. people who just like, you know, who, who get so much time, they lose their kids, they lose their licenses, they, they come out, they don't even know where to start because they have nothing. Right. And that's what I'm saying. The system, the, the prison system in the United States needs a lot of change. Yeah. 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 I, I I don't think you find any argument on that end. So this yeah. that's uh, that's amazing. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a real pleasure, and uh, you know I, I I always make it a point to bring on interesting stories about the human experience. And you have I don't know <laughs> you have surpassed a lot of those experiences. And uh, okay. thank you so much. Thank you. Really thank you for it. having me. It was an honor to be on your show. And uh, thank you. Pleasure is mine. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender nonconformers, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.